tonight, I want to read first beginning from Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 to begin. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your mem no, no longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to begin, like we did last week, with looking at the catechism. Uh, so if you want to follow along as I read some of the questions and answers of the catechism, It'll be in your hymnal on page 1165, 1165. Of course, last week, as you're flipping there, last week we talked about that question, what is baptism? Right? Baptism's not simply plain water, but it's water used according to God's command and connected with God's word. And last week we talked just, what does that mean, God's word? Um, and to summarize in a sentence, we said God's word is not like our words. Our words are descriptive and symbolic. God's word is creative. It's powerful. God's word does something. Okay, so when the water is connected to the word, the water through the word is doing something to you. It's bringing about something to you. So here, as we read uh, the rest of, of this section of the Catechism on Baptism, Luther is going to teach us here, well, what is it that baptism is doing to us and for us? So on 1165 there, it's a second section. He asks, what gifts or benefits does baptism grant? I mean, it brings about forgiveness of sins, redeems from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe it, as the words and promise of God declare and he gives us the scripture there. What are these words and promise of God? Where our Lord Christ says in Mark 16, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved, 
but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And then he's going to elaborate again even more on this water connected to the word idea. So how can water do such great things? Clearly the water does not do it, but the word of God, which is with and alongside the water and faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. For without the word of God, the water is plain water and not a baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a grace-filled water of life and a bath of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says to Titus in chapter 3. Through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, this saying is sure. And then what then is the significance of such a baptism with water? It signifies that the old person in us, with all sins and evil desires, is to be drowned and die through daily sorrow for sin and through repentance. And, on the other hand, that daily a new person is to come forth and rise up to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Then he gives the scriptural evidence, which we just read. St. Paul says in Romans 6, We were buried with Christ through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Right, so Luther tells us, and, and the scriptures tell us, as Luther points out, that baptism brings about the forgiveness of sins. Right, and we're not just making that up. Jesus says that in Mark 16. In Acts 2, St. Peter says that in his sermon, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism brings about the forgiveness of sins. Right? And in bringing about the forgiveness of sins, the redemption, it brings about the redemption from death. It redeems us from the devil because we've been forgiven of our sins. And having been forgiven of our sins, it gives us eternal salvation. Right, so the big point here, and the one thing we really want to take away from all of this, and the point I want to stress tonight, is that baptism is something God does to us, not something we do for God. And our temptation in our thinking is always, always going to try to flip that. We're always going to think about baptism, in fact, all of the sacraments, we're going to think of them as a response to what God has done for us. But I think that's flipping it the wrong way. What we want to see is that baptism is what God does to us and for us. It's not something we're doing for God. So we've talked about the word connected to the water, and it's this word that has the power in us. But more specifically, what kind of word is that? Well, as Luther says, it's a word of promise. Right? God is connecting a specific promise to the water. Right? And this promise is that your sins are forgiven. Right? That's the promise. And so again, we're talking about God's promise here and what God is promising you in baptism. Um, and so we don't want to think of it as, think of it as a human promise. Right? Human promises, of course, can be broken. Uh, we've all been the consequence of someone who has broken a promise to us. Uh, promises 
as humans use them, are often conditional. Right? Sometimes we say, okay, I'll do this for you, but there's an implied, if you behave yourself, if you go along with me, if you're cooperative, then I'll do that. Um, and sometimes promises are broken because the person who makes the promise can't control every condition. Right? I could promise Silas that I'm going to take him to a baseball game in April, but if it's pouring down rain on that, that night, I can't take him to the game. Uh, there won't be a game. So I can only promise what's in my power to promise. Everything else is kind of conditional. Well, God doesn't have those kinds of conditions. Right? God's promises can't be rained out. Um, they're not contingent. God's promises are sure. Right? He's God Almighty. His word is sure. cannot be broken. So if he makes a promise, then that promise is reality. It's not subject to anything else. It is reality. In fact, Psalm 12, verse 6 even says this. The promises of the Lord are promises that are pure. Uh, there's no condition in them. There's, there's no fault in them. There's no opportunity for them not to come true. What the Lord promises is true. Right? So if God is promising something to you at your baptism through the water, then it's true. It's sure. If he promises the forgiveness of sins, then it's true. Okay, where we often get mixed up here uh, is we don't see that faith itself is a benefit of baptism. Right? So baptism is not a response to our faith, but faith is a benefit of baptism. Right? And so we have to start really by defining that word faith and understanding what does St. Paul, what is the New Testament, what are they talking about when they use that word faith? Uh, because we've got it jumbled up a lot of times in our language uh, and how we talk about religion in 21st century America because we often think of faith in a few ways. We often think of faith as a decision we make. Uh, we think of faith as, you know, my choice to enter into a relationship with Jesus or faith is my choice to live my life a certain way. But that's not how Paul uses the word. That's not how the New Testament uses the word. And so how St. Paul uses it, how the Bible uses faith, is faith is trust in a promise. It's trust in a promise. Uh, and we just heard this on Sunday in our second reading from Romans 4. Paul lifts up, he does in Romans, and he also does in the book of Galatians, he lifts up Abraham as the prototype of faith. Right. Abraham is the one who's going to show us what faith is. Right. Because Abraham is out minding his own business, uh, probably worshiping idols. He has no idea. He doesn't know anything about God. And then out of the blue, seemingly so randomly, God speaks to him and God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, through your seed, through your descendant, all of creation's going to be blessed. Right, God makes a promise to Abraham. And Abraham trusts in that promise. 
He believes it. He accepts it. He, he trusts it. And so that's Paul's point, is that that's what faith is. Faith is hearing a promise and trusting it. That's it. Uh, and he points out Abraham, because Abraham didn't have to follow rules. God didn't say, okay, Abraham, here are the Ten Commandments, here's the law, here are all of the things you have to do to get this promise, to make this promise true. God speaks the promise, Abraham believes, and it's true. That's it. So Paul lifts up Abraham as, as that example of faith and shows us what faith is. And even in Greek, uh, the word for faith, pistis, is just a word for trust. It's trust. It's synonymous with trust. Uh, but as, as the scriptures use it, faith is trust in a promise that comes to you. Uh, and so, without jumbling up how faith works, it's that the promise always has to come first. Right? There's always a promise first, and then we have faith that receives it. Faith always receives a promise. Right? So when we talk about baptism and what baptism does, in baptism the Spirit is working in us to awaken our hearts to the promise that God is declaring in that moment. Right? In the moment you're baptized, God is promising the pardon of sins, that you're forgiven. He's promising that you will have eternal life. That's a promise he's giving to you in baptism. Right, so baptism is not a response to faith. Right, it's not like a symbolic ritual where you know, we want to make a confession and show the world our faith, uh, which is often how it gets understood. Uh, Baptism is not trying to show the world something that's interior going on in here. Uh, you know, there's something going on in my heart and I want the world to know it, so I'm going to be baptized. It's not, it's not that either. It's not a response at all. Instead, baptism is a declaration of God's promise. Right? It's the moment where his word is applied to our hearts. It's a moment where we're promised that the Spirit is going to begin to awaken our hearts so that we hear that promise and we know that promise. Uh, but it's the promise of the forgiveness of sins in baptism. That's what's going on. All right, so faith itself then is not something we generate in our own hearts. It's not something we come up with. Faith is always that response to God's promise coming to us right and it's that faith then that paul is going to point out in romans 6 that makes us new right so what the life of a baptized person looks like what well, we might say the life of faith looks like it's all about learning to let go of everything that is not god's promise right that's that's what the christian life is really about uh, it's not so much about, I've got to follow particular rules so that God will forgive me. It's not about, I've got to follow the law so that God will know that I'm good. Right? But it's about learning to let go of everything in this world that's not God's promise. Uh, it's that first commandment issue. Right? The Lord alone is God. 
And so we learn in this life, day by day, that all of the promises of the world, the promises of the devil, all of the lies, all the false promises, those are not true. And so we learn every day, the Spirit teaches us to go back to that promise that God made to us in our baptisms, right? which is the promise that we are forgiven. God does accept us. Uh, that's what the Christian life looks like. Uh, if you've been to a, a Lutheran funeral, uh, you'll know our funeral liturgy uh, is very focused on baptism itself. Right? Because we understand that death from this life and passing into the next is a kind of completion of our baptism. Because when we die, we finally and fully are going to let go of all of the false promises that we hold on to, and we're going to know the full reality of God's promise to us because we're going to see him face to face. We're going to know fully and completely that we're 100% forgiven, 100% accepted. Right? Uh, and so every day, as Luther says, every day is kind of learning to die Every day is learning to go back to your baptism and to know, okay, I got to hold on to God's promise and no other promises of the world. All right? This is where the church itself comes in in the life of a Christian. Because through the preaching of the word, through the sacraments, God is sending his spirit to teach our hearts how to trust in God's promises. All right? That's really what preaching should be about. Preaching should be about speaking to your heart God's promises so you can trust them. And the Spirit makes himself available in the preaching of the word to form your heart and to shape your heart. It's the work that he's promised to do through his sacraments. Uh, and all of that being said, <clears throat> there's a very Lutheran emphasis uh, that we don't get rebaptized because we don't need to return to the promise by being rebaptized. But what Luther will say is, your baptism is something to be used. It's something to go back to, something to hold on to. Right? Because it is the moment where God promised the forgiveness of sins to you. And so Luther will say famously, remember your baptism. Right? But you want to use your baptism as a Christian. Go back to it. Right? So when you're stuck in some particular sin, when you have some kind of doubt in your heart, when you're having down days and dark days, when Satan is tempting you, when everything is going wrong, we say go back to your baptism. Use your baptism. Remember who you are. Right? Remember what God has said about you. God has said you are forgiven. God has said he's never going to leave you. God has said he's going to give you eternal life. Go back to that. Right? Always go back to your baptism. Because that's where God made the promise. And this promise cannot be broken. Right? So what we're going to say about baptism then is that baptism is valid. Ba baptism works because of God's word, not because of our belief. 
And that's important because if we're struggling in our own doubts, if we're struggling with temptations, if we're struggling with sins, right, we can always go back and say, well, did I really believe when I was baptized? Was that a real baptism? Uh, and Satan can bring that up. The devil can tempt us with that. Are you sure, you know, uh, you were a baby. Is it real? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Right. But we are saying it's not our faith, it's not our belief that makes baptism valid. It's God's word. It's his promise that makes it true. And so when you are struggling, you can hold on to that. Because when you hold on to that, you're holding on to God's promise. You're holding on to his word. And so the Christian life then is living into what our baptisms declare. It's always going back to that promise, to what God declares about you. And there's a kind of freedom in that, right? Because you're not working to earn anything in God's eyes. You don't have to live a perfect life. You don't have to impress everyone. You're free to live who God wants you to be. And so you live as a wife, a husband, as a daughter, as a son, as a neighbor, you live out your vocations in your work, knowing that you're forgiven. And there's a freedom in that that God is giving you. Right? You don't have to worry about always trying to measure up to some standard. You're free to be who God wants you to be. And so you're free to love your neighbor. You're free to do good works for your neighbor. You're free to be a person of integrity. Uh, and you're free to live it out without trying to meet a particular standard. Right? God says you can rest. You can live out your life in the security of what I have done for you, of what I've declared to you. Right? Um, and St. Paul in Romans 6 then, he really spells out, well, how does this work? Uh, practically because what he says is that when you're baptized right the sinner in you is dead and you are made new right you're risen with Christ and what he's saying there is you know when God declares the forgiveness of your sins he's doing it on the account of what Christ has done for you right so Christ has taken your sins and made them his own. He's borne them onto his own body. He's taken your sins. He's taken the punishment for your sins for you. And so when you're baptized, God is saying, this is what's reality. Right? Your sins are no longer your sins because Christ has taken them. And then there's this exchange, what Luther called the happy exchange which is now we're risen with Christ. Not only has Christ taken our sins on himself, not only has he taken the punishment for our sins, but we're raised with him. So he's given us his life. Right? He's given us his righteousness. So Christ's perfection, Christ's holiness, it's now your perfection. It's now your holiness. That's what God is declaring in baptism. All the work that Christ has done is for you. It belongs to you. 
That's who you are. And so the objection is always, it's too easy, right? That's too easy. You're saying you're just baptized, you hear a promise and you trust it, uh, and you're saved. That's always 100% the objection. And it, it always gets into the hypothetical. So you're saying you can be baptized on Sunday, Monday you can go out and beat your wife and you're still saved. Right? That's always the objection. That's the objection I heard growing up. Everyone says this. Uh, and so the first response is, well, yes, it is easy. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. If there was a standard that you had to live up to, a law that you had to, to fulfill, you wouldn't do it. As we read in our psalm tonight, right, no one is going to seek God on their own. Everyone is dead in their sins. You cannot live up to the law. You're going to break it. You are a sinner. Right? And so anything else then becomes a weight on us that we can't bear. We can't save ourselves. So yes, it is that easy. And the question then is, okay, well, what about bearing fruit? What about good works? What about, you know, the big Christian word? What about sanctification? What about holiness? Where does all of this fit into our baptisms? Right? And I think Paul here in Romans 6 guides us in the right way, which is, son, your Christian life is about living into that baptismal reality. Right? Because the reality is we're learning day by day to let go of the promises of this world and to, and to hold on to Christ. And again, that's not a work that we do, but it's the work that the Spirit is doing in us. Right? Through the preaching of the word, through the sacraments. He's doing that to us. And so yes, we're not going to be perfected in this life right that's why we say our death is is when our baptism is completed it's perfected and so every day we return to what our baptism says every day the spirit is working in us through a preacher through the sacraments through his word he's working in us right and so the fruit that we bear the good works that we'll do that's the spirit working in us okay but we want to go back to that baptism. And can we say, well, so-and-so was baptized, and now I see that they're a sinner. They're not going to church. They're not acting the way I think they should. You know, the, the, the cop-out answer, of course, is, well, you can't judge. Only God is to judge. But the reality is the Spirit is going to work in and through that person how he's going to work. The Spirit's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, and daily, we're called to go back to our repentance and baptism, to that transformation. That's the Christian life. The other objection that is always going to come up, especially for Lutherans, all right, so what about baptizing babies? Why do we do that? All right, babies not doing anything. Why are you putting water on a baby's head, what does that mean? And so just a couple ways we, we answer that objection. First, first is a reminder that our faith is not what, it's not what makes the baptism valid. 
right? It's water connected to God's word, using, used according to Christ's command that's going to make our baptism valid. Uh, but, the, but the bigger objection, well, can babies have faith? Can babies believe? Right? Because we say faith is a benefit of baptism. Right? There's a promise there given to this child. Uh, does the child hear that promise? Uh, what does that look like in the life of a baby? And so just a couple ways we answer that. First, Lutherans say that babies do, in fact, have faith. Um, in fact, in the Gospels, you know, Christ holds up children as the picture of what faith is to be. Uh, and babies, in a way, have wonderful faith because babies are always receiving. Right? They're always receptive and open to receiving. They're dependent. And again, that's what faith is. Right? Faith is about letting go of the promises of this world, and faith is about holding on to and trusting God's promises. Well, babies are dependent. They do hold on to that which is coming to them. And so in a way they do, we can see that they have faith. Now what's going on in a baby's heart, we don't know. Uh, but that's not really the point. The other thing is that we baptize babies trusting that God is going to use their parents and their church and their community to continue to preach the gospel to them so that the Spirit will continue to work faith in them. Uh, when we baptize a baby here, the parents and the godparents or the sp sponsors, they're supposed to make vows to bring their child to church, to teach them the creed, to teach them the commandments, to teach them the scriptures, to bring them to the sacrament uh, when they're ready because those are the ways that the Spirit works faith in us and grows our faith. Right? And so we baptize babies, trusting that God is going to work faith in them. But God is going to send preachers to the babies who are baptized. Right? You as parents are preachers to your children. Uh, that's part of your vocation. You're supposed to, to share God's word and God's promises with your children, with your grandchildren. Uh, you are preachers to them. Right? You bring your children and your grandchildren to church, trusting that they're going to hear the word. You send them the confirmation. You fight with them to get them here so that they'll hear the word. Right? That's part of, part of who you are, your vocation, and that's what God, God is doing in them. Okay, so God doesn't abandon them, right? And we as the church don't want to abandon them. We say, you're baptized, now you're good. We continue to go back to the word over and over uh, and to let the spirit grow that faith in them. Right, I am running out of time. We could talk forever about baptism. Uh, and I'm sure you're gonna hear a lot more from me about baptism on Sunday. Um, Next week, we'll talk, the next part of the catechism is about confession, uh, how the people are taught to confess. So for Luther, this is connected to baptism. So confession is an opportunity 
to go back to the promise of our baptisms.